Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Event Industry News Podcast. My name is James Dixon, and as always, wishing you a very good morning, afternoon, or evening, whenever or wherever you join our podcast from today. And joining our podcast today, all the way from Boston, Massachusetts in the USA, I'm delighted to welcome a first-time guest to the Event Industry News Podcast, Mr. Devin Cleary. Devin joins us today, and he is the Vice President of Global Events at our good friends, Bizabo. Devin, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Oh, James, it's an absolute pleasure. Energized to be here today and can't wait for our conversation. Fantastic. Yeah. And um, as I was just saying to Devin off air before we hit record on today's uh, episode of the podcast, um, it's a name that I've I've announced many times before at the Event Technology Awards uh, over here in London um, every November. Um, you guys have been been shortlisted and, 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 and won awards and have been involved for, for several years now. So it's great to um, to get you on the podcast and have a little chat about what you guys have been up to uh, for the last 18 months and specifically to lead us into that conversation, Devin. Um, we're going to start today's episode um, by referring to a, a, a survey that was done by Gartner um, very recently, and it was a survey of um, chief marketing officers and senior management within companies, um, asking them about budget cuts and how they've been affected by the pandemic over the last 18 months. And the results of this survey showed that 65% of marketers that were surveyed in this uh, uh, to generate this report uh, face moderate to significant budget cuts due to coronavirus disruption. Um, now, of course, for marketing officers, Devin, that means uh, not just a budget cut for things like advertising and, and, and PR, but for things like events. They're having to rethink and refactor how they approach events because they've got less money to spend on it. Um, tell us a little bit, first of all, about some of the conversations maybe that you guys at Bizabo have been having with, with your clients and some of these marketing officers and some of the sort of uh, issues that they've faced over the last uh, year or so. Well, I, I, let's start off by saying this, you know, in regards to CMOs and sort of leading marketing officers around their strategies and their marketing mix and sort of that budget uh, relationship, I would I would give some positive news starting off this conversation by saying, you know, events, regardless of the formats, virtual, in-person, even hybrid, you know, they're still one of the most uh, important activities that brands are choosing to invest in to maintain sort of that engagement of customers, building community. Uh, and accelerating their revenue streams. I think CMOs have an opportunity to really lead uh, transformation of events like never before. And mm -hmm. I think that the past 18 months have really allowed them and specifically their teams, you know, our event, our event organizers to innovate quickly, uh, fail freely, learn on the fly and constantly experiment again and again. And through this Gartner survey, I'm not surprised to see some of those numbers because obviously I think one of the chief challenges that a lot of these organizations face is they know how to execute appropriately, but it's really the data and the ROE. Like, are they really able to track it back and connect that touch point, that experience, that moment in time with significant driving of business results for the organization? And a lot of individuals are automatically defaulting based on the conditions of the market to say, you know, do we put our event programs on pause? Do we pivot to something different? Do we go from hybrid or in-person and truly embrace virtual again? And, you know, what we're trying to educate people on at Bizabo is we really advocate to continue moving forward with those programs. It is critical that, you know, you leverage an all-in-one solution, that you have the right technology partners, the right technology, Mar you know, MarTech and tech stack to be able to be nimble and pivot at the drop of a dime. So that you do not have to, frankly, um, you know, hold up your plans and 
you know, not do anything and be inactive in market because a lot of brands cannot afford to do so. Um, but I would also just call out specifically, a lot of these industries are varying based on the types of, you know, attendees and customers that they work with. I mean, a lot of events, you know, in medical retail, they're moving full steams ahead with in-person programs. And because mm. again, the majority of their business is conducted through that nature. Sure. And then other, you know, other industries like B2B and high tech, they're taking a much more conservative approach. So, you know, I think it really needs to be looked at at a more granular level in terms of not just making broad statements, but really looking based on the industry and based on the types of organizations that are really filling out these survey uh, and this intel. Absolutely. What What's interesting, what, one of the things that jumped out to me from the report was a, yeah. a quote from Ewan McIntyre, who's the VP analyst for Gartner, um, who said that uh, marketing organizations are ill-prepared for COVID-19's impact on the global economy and consumer sentiment, and the crisis will only exacerbate the budget strain we saw developing in 2019, when market uh, budgets began to decline. So, it suggests that some of these budgets were in decline already, even pre-pandemic, and that potentially the, the, the COVID-19 pandemic has, has simply accelerated some of the decision-making processes that were already uh, in place uh, pre-pandemic. Is that is that something that you would you would go along with? I don't disagree with the sentiment. Again, I think it's really unique and specific to the industry and the type of customers that we're dealing with. Um, a lot of organizations you know, they're, they're trying to really be innovative. I've even, you know, I would even say that a majority are kind of building this next normal for themselves. And many are starting to experiment again with experiential programs and campaigns, mm. um, whether they're a standalone channel or they're really trying to integrate them as part of their overall sort of omni, omni channel of, of programming throughout the rest of the year. Um, you know, I think marketing activities at large, we really have to sort of dive deeper. And I, I just, I don't think that events are going to be put on hold for, maybe the severity of what this report is kind of sharing. Sure. Yeah. What's um, it, it, to sort of move things along a little bit, some, something that occurred to me when, again, reading this report and looking yeah. at the topic for the discussion today is that um, for, for, for bigger companies, if you mm -hmm. take a, a trade show, for example, they're very, very budget heavy, you know, that, that they are, they have a very hungry appetite for money if you are committing to sort of a large presence at a major trade show. And whilst at the first glance, you know, budget cuts, yes, okay, everybody gets a bit panicky, budget cuts, we're not going to have the money that we spend. Perhaps that forces people to then look at things a little bit differently, look at hybrid options, look at better digital solutions. Maybe some of the ways that they were using their old budgets were not particularly um, efficient. Um, uh, again, I, I, I'd love to sort of see whether or not you've really been able to sort of engage with some innovative clients who've looked at it and thought, actually, this could be an opportunity to look at some of these digital platforms like yours and say, what can we do with those? And maybe they're even more profitable. Yeah, I, you know, although although the terms have been redefined in even the last six months alone, we're receiving even new macro kind of impact and conditions on our overall industry. You know, the concept of planning in-person events will change dramatically. Mm. And I think, you know, we have to look at this from a positive angle because change is a good thing. You know, it leads to the adoption of these new skills of our teams. It's new business models. And there's multiple models when we sort of think even in the hybrid mindset. Mm -hmm. And then as well as advancing our industry towards innovation, what we're trying to advocate for is really embracing more of that hybrid is now mindset where, you know, again, you can be hybrid with a virtual first focus. So to your earlier point, if they don't want to be investing so significantly, there is a model where they can really, I don't know, invest in 
uh, a smaller studio audience and they can still create a great experience on the ground floor. And then again, massively uh, engage with their, you know, their global network, their customer base, the prospects they're trying to communicate with and continue to build relationships and dialogue. And there's a lot of uh, variables that you can sort of factor in to create the perfect experience for your program at that moment in time. And, mm -hmm. you know, the other, the other really successful, the other really successful transition that we're seeing as a result of all of this is it's really, it's a forcing function to move away from this mindset of just event management, you know, and we're really trying to embrace this idea of event experience, truly being the reign supreme of what's guiding the strategy moving forward. So a lot of brands feel much more, you know, innovative in that approach. And again, I think we're seeing a lot of that rise as we've had conversations with multiple accounts. Do, do, do you think that um, the experience is going to prompt a new type of event manager? I, we have event managers who are experienced in the live face-to-face -face marketplace, but the skill set to deliver good virtual and digital events is not totally different, but it is a different set of skills required. Do you think it's going to, it's, we are going to see the, the, the you know, the, the, the creation of new types of event manager? I do. And I also think that you're going to have more specialists and more niche roles, uh, cur you know, curated out on the events team. I think we're going to see experience managers rise. I think we're going to have experienced directors come on board that their one focus is really auditing the entire attendee journey and what that is like for all the multiple personas or targets or individuals you engage with. But I, again, I, I would share today in terms of this, this audience that it's really an ideal time though for event professionals to transform themselves from meeting planners to true ROI marketers. And, you know, we need, they know how to run successful programs, but it's time to really raise the bar and demonstrate how can events deliver financial impact? You know, and I think with a lot of these programs, it all goes back to, do you have strategic frameworks? How are you organizing this information? Are you, you know, the relationships you're building with your chief marketing officers, with your other senior, you know, your senior staff, do they really have a good grip on your approach and your strategy? And I think it goes back to basics. You know, there's, there's really five five steps that I would, or five tips, if you will, that mm -hmm. I recommend to clients on a regular basis. Number one is you need to set measurable goals for every single event you have. And yes, that's event 101, but it needs to be really re-emphasized, especially in all the, you know, the agility and all the changes that have happened in our industry. Number two is you need to involve the sales teams in, in these processes before, during, and after the event, incredibly tight knit. Like you have to be unified like never before. Number three is really using like the real time, you know, kind of data uh, dynamically to adjust your experiences as you're even going into the event. So one recommendation I share with a lot of our clients is there is an opportunity even during the registration, you know, or the initial uh, introduction of the event promotion where you're capturing information. Use that as an opportunity to ask significant market questions that really help to understand who these attendees are and what their preferences are. And as you're starting to get a large enough data set, it can really help you make final adjustments and, you know, tweaks to your overall program so that you're really meeting customers where they are, where they're coming from. You're really listening to them. You're acknowledging that the program reflects the majority, you know, stakeholders in terms of what their expectations are. And that's going to boast significant dividends at the end, or again, just really hit the nail on the head. Mm -hmm. um, number four is, you know, closing kind of the loop on your CM, CRM and marketing automation tools, like as you become more of a, a, an ROI marketer, it's so critical that your entire tech stack that you're involved working with is able to really pull those real-time insights, be able to really understand the attribution models. How are you moving people across your attendee journey? 
that is actually showing impact for the go-to-market teams, for your sales leaders? You know, have you been able to convert something? Do you have new benchmarks that you're setting? Are you helping with massive, you know, business KPIs where you're shortening sales cycles or you're accelerating CSAT scores or everything on the above? And then the final piece is, you know, do you have proper dashboards based on executive levels? You don't want to show an executive, maybe a top senior executive, all the nitty gritty. So what's the most important pieces that they need to see to really have the faith and build the confidence and have the relationship necessary to truly invest and continue to make sure that they're pushing for the autonomy of the events organization to drive and again, help them close deals, build community and accelerate those revenues. And it's the, the the data point that you make there is is interesting and very mm-hmm. very relevant because this is something that we've discussed on the podcast before. Is yeah. there is a prevalence of data now? There is so much data that actually to get the right data and the important stuff under the noses and in front of the eyes of the people who make the decisions from mm-hmm. a monetary point of view is so important. You do have to present them with things that are clear, easy. You might only have 10 minutes of their time. They can't be trawling through pages and pages, either online or otherwise, of, of data and analytics that perhaps they don't understand. Yeah, we at Bizabo, and even again with my former life and some of the other you know amazing brands that I've had the privilege of, of leading and supporting and working for, I've always prioritized this data component. So mm. one, one uh, you know, lesson learned or observation I've made working with a series of different brands over my tenure is we get confused sometimes and we're, we're converging event metrics with business impact metrics. And it's so important to separate the two. As an events organization, we are measured on, you know, again, driving a certain level of registration or targeting a certain customer group and seeing an engagement percentage. We have an international geo target goal. We have, you know, surprise and delight, our overall, um, you know, MPS score. A lot of those things is what the events teams are going to be measured on in terms of how we evaluate success. The business, though, investing millions of dollars or a certain threshold of capital, they need to also see a significant impact on X, Y, and Z. And every business leader and every CMO and every events team needs to be incredibly unified on what are the most critical and prioritized KPIs. And to your point, with all this influx of big data where we're, we're seeing people's preferences, we're seeing engagement numbers, we're seeing how long they're actually consuming content, that really helps us make pivots and change and alter the strategy moving forward. So we're just constantly getting better that these customers feel like every experience is personalized, every experience is customized. So, you know, do you have a framework? Do you have set templates that you have created internally that you are using over and over again to educate everyone within the business, regardless of level of leadership and where they sit within the organization. And I would really say going back to basics and having that infrastructure built out is so, so important. Mm. Um, There's a couple of points that I've noted here. I'm going to get to the second one in in a little while. The first one I'd like to go to is, is a point that you made of when I asked about new types of event manager. And, mm-hmm. and and the potential creation of these niche, you know, newer roles. Mm-hmm. You mentioned about having somebody who is there to audit. Um, and I've had experience recently where I've worked with um, uh, an event platform that relates to an exhibitor manual uh, at a show where clearly it hasn't been audited correctly. Somebody hasn't gone through that as an exhibitor to actually pick apart the experience there and find where there are flaws in the system. And there were, that th- there were flaws there. And, I always think that to push anything out there to the public, to an, an audience, to exhibitors, to attendees that's not fully checked is 
is an absolute black market, you know, against an event. It's 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 negative PR, it's negative branding for them. Um, I'm, I'm just curious to know sort of how, how important you potentially think that element is, because as I said, I asked that from having some recent personal experience of, of just that. If there's one lesson that I want everyone to walk away from today with that exact statement, and this is something that I've learned uh, and having the privilege of engaging with some executives from Disney, one great exercise and one uh, I would say recommendation is really put together a subcommittee within your business that are not event leaders. These can be people throughout the organization, whether in product, whether in R&D, your people's team, but have individuals that are frankly not really connected on a day-to-day basis. They're not as invested in sort of the execution component of the event. And those focus groups and committees, they are an amazing untapped resource to be able to look at everything you're doing and really give you a fresh set of eyes that you might not be seeing because, again, you're looking at this day in and day out. The other important thing is when you're strategizing how to create these documents or what is required, what is necessary, having someone who is not an expert in the room can be eye-opening in terms of feedback. And again, I would say to you, if you ask every event leader to do X, Y, and Z, and you ask someone who's completely in a different profession to answer the same question, they're going to look at it and approach it from an entirely different angle. And again, you want to make sure that you're being inclusive because you only know what you know. And we use our unconscious bias. That's going to sort of drive a certain way to deliver and go to market. But it's Mm -hmm. also uh, a checks and balances system where you're going to hopefully catch some of those pieces and give people a heads up. And again, it's it's something that I have always implemented as part of my team dynamic and, and my operating model. And it really minimizes significantly any of those errors. Or again, it really makes sure that your messaging, the way that you present these documents, the visual identity and designs, they're really receptive and representative of your entire customer base. It, 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 I'm really pleased that you've you've sort of delved into that a bit because yeah. I, I was worried that maybe I, you know maybe I was being too picky with this, but you no. know I, 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 I the idea of getting people who don't deal with this on a daily basis is 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 a fantastic one um, because you know I say regularly what's easy for me and what's obvious to me may mm-hmm. not be easy or obvious to somebody else who doesn't do what I do for a living. And in the same way, if I tried to understand my wife's job, for example, which I know nothing about, I'd probably ask a completely different set of questions to one of her colleagues. So, you know, it's, it's something that um, I, again, on a personal level, I think we really need to do as an industry. I think with so many platforms available now and with the tech stacks that we're all, you know, familiar with, we've got, you know, three, four, five, six plus platforms integrating with each other now for some of these virtual and hybrid events. It's so important, isn't it, to to really understand that customer journey through all of those platforms and make sure that things are working in the best way possible. Customer, Customer mapping is one of the most important things you should be doing. You know, it it is mapping out every single attendee or, or, you know, persona or target that you're hoping to bring part of your tribe, your community. There's multiple different layers. And again, at Visibo, we're really trying to emphasize and prioritize individualizing experiences. It's not, there's one experience for every person, but let's say you have an event for 5,000 people. You want everyone to feel like there's 5,000 individual experiences going on simultaneously. Mm -hmm. So, what we try to also advocate for is, you know, when you're, when you're doing sort of your ideation phases and that's, you know, I never see teams do enough of that work. You need to really allocate a proper amount of time to brainstorm, get into a room, source inspiration outside of your comfort zone and really pull all of that together. 
uh, to really help you sort of, you know, pull something out that you've never done before, because we always have to innovate and really, you know, deliver better than what we've done previously. So when you do that sort of mapping exercise, what is every touch point that that individual will receive from the pre-marketing to the actual show experience itself or event experience, and even the post-play, you know, so many people alienate and they are so focused on just what happens in the moment that they just, it's an afterthought in terms of what is the follow-up? And yes, I get a survey or I ask them some questions, but how do I nurture them and continue that, you know, that connection point? Because it was so strong in that moment, you don't want that to fizzle out. And that's where a lot of, when you're hoping and, you know, focus on the driving of the ROE and driving on the business impact, which we talked about the onset of this conversation is so critical. Mm. If your budget is not going to get slashed or you're not going to see a, you know, a stagnant or a decrease in that, in that number, this is the thing that you have to focus on sometimes even more than the event experience itself to truly be successful and go back to the business and showcase what you've been able to deliver. Absolutely. Now, um, I mentioned that, that there was a, a, a second point that I'd scribbled down that I'd like to mm -hmm. refer back to. And again, sure. this is a, a great quote that I've, I've written in full hybrid with a virtual first focus. Mm -hmm. And again, this is something that cropped up just on a recent episode of the podcast where I, I mentioned that people have naturally assumed that a hybrid event is a live event with a digital element for those who can't make it. And very few people seem to be talking about a hybrid event being virtual with a live event for those who can't make it online. And it's interesting that you said that. And I'm curious to maybe just delve into that a little bit deeper and find out what your, some of your own experiences are as an organization with hybrid events where the primary focus is on that virtual side of things. So one misconception as a as an overall market is we're, we're using this word hybrid and i think there's automatically a default in terms of how we define that you know we think of as hybrid as you know there's a virtual element there's an in-person element but what i would really challenge everyone who's listening to think about is there's different models to hybrid okay there is a hub and spoke model there is a delayed model where you to your point you can choose based on your audience and based on resources and budget and there's pros and cons you have to evaluate when you're going through that assessment process of what the right strategy is for your business and what makes the most sense you could have an in-person component happen a day prior to a virtual you know the virtual launch or the virtual experience and you can segment those individually and still call that an overarching hybrid strategy within your organization I think it's really what your resources are, are going to be accountable for, what your budget, you know, entails. And all of those factors plays a significant role in the overarching, you know, approach. Um, we have we have really done the, we have tested at Visibo and we actually hosted our, our first hybrid event back in early July, Agents of Hybrid. And we actually wanted to do and test out the more traditional model. We did the simultaneous model in terms of two experiences unified happening at the same moment bringing audiences together. And we really wanted to uh, pioneer and test with different technologies. How can you truly bridge that gap of bringing people together, making them feel like they are both priorities, that they're not an afterthought, that we're bringing them along on the journey, that regardless if I was virtual or regardless if I was in person, I still feel the same level of engagement, the same level of investment, that the content speaking to me, the experiences, the opportunity for community and connection it is just, again, it's flowing regardless of what format you have elected to join the event. Mm. How 
how fluid is has the development process of your platform been in the last 12 months um given the increase in demand which there has to have been um mm -hmm. i've no doubt about that given that with all of these different tech stacks that are involved every digital or hybrid or virtual event is completely unique now because each event will have its own requirements and own particular things that it wants to integrate. How fluid have your developers had to be to actually be able to manipulate, tweak, improve the platform to the client's needs? We have been incredibly agile and we've invested significant resources, not only in the growth of our organization, but our abilities to really innovate on the virtual side of the house. One, one theme that we've been really focused on that we go back to that we write down on a post-it note and put on all of our desks or our computers or whatnot is really humanizing the experience mm -hmm. so for us it was really important as we're thinking about new features functionality and again all going back to a centralized conversation around experience design how do we make people feel more a part of this process versus like they're just being spoken with you know yeah. and that's an advocacy that i would share as well like you never want your audience to feel like you're just speaking to them you want to speak with them and you have to think about different opportunities and moments in time or moments that matter that really bridge that gap and allow you to achieve that in your strategy. So it's thinking about, do you put people in breakout rooms and really, again, breaking out the organization? The other piece to this is human behavior. You know, you have to be tracking human behavior. You have to be understanding human behavior. When we were going through the first, you know, the first year of COVID, we were seeing a significant number of people, you know, activating on chat features or putting people in, in matchmaking opportunities where they were connecting based on one sole topic that they selected at the onset of registration. And what I was observing is it doesn't feel natural to people to be just, you know, put into a room of some sort, a digital virtual room of some sort, and just being asked to start speaking to someone without any additional context or knowing who they are or getting more background information on them first. So at Visible, we've really tried to be more meaningful around, you know, leveraging our community features to first be that introductory method, but then also guiding people and giving people the, the script or the toolkit or, you know, sort of the framework of how to do this appropriately. So for us, it's if you're having major, you know, again, general session keynote moments where you're bringing everyone together from your audience, it's a great opportunity when you're seeing people, you know, comment, ask questions and whatnot. That's where it makes the most sense when you're intrigued by something or something strikes a nerve in a positive or negative or constructive yeah, way. Yeah. It allows you to then message that individual or connect with that individual and then break off into a one-on-one -on -one conversation. That is a much more logical flow and companies, regardless if it's Visibo or any other sort of, you know, provider in the market and whether you're a point solution, a full-on all-in-one platform, these are the things that you really have to be evaluating as event organizers in terms of what you need to be successful and just thinking about that human behavior side. So a lot of the product innovations we're coming out with that we've already started to roll out in early access and working with some of our best customers and our evangelists, if you will. Um, I'm just so excited for what's to come. And again, a lot more in the in the fall time frame and sort of late uh, Q4. So stay tuned. Fantastic. Uh, a question that's just sprung into my mind there about um, the registration process and the one-to-one yeah. -one matchmaking. Mm -hmm. um, people go to an event to be inspired. They mm -hmm. go there to get new ideas, to maybe find things that they never knew about before, to see things and, and, and think, I could use that, yeah. regardless of what the event is there to do. It could be any industry. The registration process pre-pandemic was very, um, I suppose, uh, binary in the sense that we ask, the registration process is, is one particular moment. 
We ask people to complete all of this information at a single point in time where they have to tick fields of interest and then you know algorithms are then deployed to match make them with people who might share those interests. What strikes me is not happening particularly at the moment, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that interest being able to be manipulated during the event. So while somebody is going around an event and thinks, ah, that's something I'm really interested in, but I didn't tick it during the registration process, therefore I can't meet anybody. Could we make that registration process more of an ongoing thing where we're constantly or or going back to attendees and saying, is this still correct? Are there any other areas that we could interest you in? Would you like to meet people in any other you know, sectors? It's a great call out. And beyond just registration, what I love as a trend also is actually creating attendee dashboards and allowing people to go back into different platforms and whatnot and be able to update their preferences, you know, mm -hmm. so they're able to actually share as things are relevant, because obviously, as we know, every single day, something is influencing us, things are changing overnight. So what I, what I, you know, to your point, you know, checked off six months ago when I registered at the onset of an opening or even three months prior to a program, those things are changing rapidly. And, and my preferences and my influences are really causing me to think differently, maybe leading up to the event or even the moment in time. So I, again, I would, I would really think to, and, and I would advocate to a lot of the organizers that you have to figure out ways to continuously engage and capture. Don't just, when someone registers, you know, throw them to the wayside. You still need to be engaging with them throughout the entire process leading up to the event. And it's not just educational. It's not just the tactical instructional things where it says, this is what the event offers. Here's how you navigate. Here's how you engage the platform. Here's the technology. Here's how it works. All of that is incredibly critical, but you're missing a key opportunity to also just continuously stay engaged with them and understand preferences. You know, mm. it's, it's not just interest. It's also preferences, you yeah. know, like, do you need to have language translation? Do you have any special needs in terms of, you know, if, especially if you're doing a hybrid program, and there's an in-person element, do you have special dietary restrictions? Again, like we were used to seeing and, and sort of checking off. So really making a list, knowing who your audience is, knowing who your community is, and understanding what they need, but even getting other intel, like even getting market research out of these different opportunities, you know, go beyond just tell me your title, your geo, your, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, your place of origin, your company, tell me, are you planning X, Y, and Z? Do you have a favorite, what's your favorite dessert? I mean, like there's so many things that you can ask and start to really put together. So as you're embarking on your strategy and executing that going forward, you have such great info and intel to utilize so that the future experiences tied to your brand are just gonna be that much more enjoyable, the surprise and delight. There's just so many untapped opportunities that people really need to capture moving forward. And again, prioritize as experienced managers, as experienced leaders, which is, you know, again, truly what's going to separate the experts from the amateurs. Yeah. And and th th there's two things that I'd like to sort of add to, to that, if I yeah. may. And that is that, to me, the registration process in today's event world is still very much based on what it was 20 years ago, i.e. Mm -hmm. somebody arrives at a venue and they go onto the concourse and the reason you have to ask for all of that information in one hit is because they go to a terminal and they have to register. And that's your only opportunity that you've got to register that person, to print their visitor badge, and then to admit them into the event. And we're still very much basing our registration process in 2021 on that one opportunity to capture the information that we used to have 20 years ago, you know, pre-smartphone and pre-online registration. And we need to sort of maybe break out of that 
mindset. We don't just have one opportunity anymore. We're in contact with these people. May not be any need to ask them everything at the first instance. Ask them the basic information and then revisit them. Ask them what their interests are. You've got opportunities to go back there. Make it, you know, a multi-stage process rather than this one one hit at the beginning. Um, and the, the the other thing that I I, I wanted to add was, um, I, I, I suppose, but based on on this this hybrid scenario again, it's um, I, I I would love to sort of sit here in a year's time and know that the word hybrid had been thrown out the window. 100%. I look forward to the day where we go back and just call them events and we do not need to put the word hybrid in front of something because obviously people have already been executing hybrid events well prior to COVID and the formats in terms of the, the sheer definition of having a virtual and a physical attendee at the most basic, at the most basic you know, kind of construct or concept. I want to, I definitely want to go back to what you talked about in terms of not everything happening in terms of that one-stop shop and a lot of attendees over, you know, various industries that I've had the privilege of observing and kind of being a part of in terms of executing events. A lot of times organizers just, they fail to over communicate with this audience. You know, if you're asking me to do something, I need to understand the why. You know, it's just like in business, if we're engaging and we're collaborating with our different teams or working with executives, having that why is so important. So if I understand the benefit, I know that I will invest the time to execute that action or take that action to complete it. So again, another tip is when you're thinking about your communication timeline, when you're thinking about the number of touch points and how you message to people, if you're not including that, that context, it's very challenging when you say complete your profile and there's nothing else to include that with. <laughs> You know, I'm not really going to prioritize that over my personal life, my professional, you know, requirements and, and you know, existing um, commitments that I have. So just be mindful of that. And then around just hybrid overall, I think we're just using this terminology as sort of a, a comfort blanket that just gives us some semblance of how we can describe the format or, you know, what the approach is for even outsiders who are not really dedicated event leaders, or that's not really their top function within their organization. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I want to emphasize like hybrid can be everything to everyone an event organizer wants it to be. Make it what makes sense for you. Don't feel like you are pigeonholed with what, you're, what you're reading on LinkedIn, what you're seeing in blogs, what you're hearing on other podcasts. You really need to, again, digest and pull that information in use that as a reference point, but don't feel the pressure that you have to do something like it's a one size fits all, because that is the complete opposite of what I think the lesson has been for the last 18 months. Absolutely. If you've got five people sat around a table in an office and there's a screen on the wall with somebody dialing in via a video link, that's a hybrid event. Absolutely. And we've you been watch, conditioning watching, people like that. You watch a sports, you know, a, 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 a soccer game, a football game, a baseball game on the TV there are 20,000 people sat in the stadium. That's a hybrid event. You know, they've, they've been around for a long time. And um, yeah, that, 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 that's the, the last thing I'm going to throw at you, Devin, today, yeah. um, before we wrap up is, is the idea. I'm going to go back to the registration uh, conversation that we're having. I've had loads of conversations at business events and, and during my work life that have been instigated by nothing to do with our work and why we're there. It could be that you support the same sports team. You like the same mm -hmm. band. You were born in the same city. You know, you know somebody that went to the same school as you. Um, and it's an idea about whether or not people would be willing to share just a snippet of information that's completely unrelated 
to the registration process. So we ask people what their areas of interest may be relating to that event. Why not ask them, you know, what's your favorite sports team? You know, what school did you go to? Um, tell us something about yourself that's completely unrelated to this event. Because, you know, why not match them up with somebody who might have a similar interest that's nothing to do with their professional interests that are there. It's a conversation starter. And the point is of the matchmaking process is to find conversation starters, points of interest that might allow two people to start conversing with each other. And we tend to think of it in quite a linear way that it's got to be related to work. Let's look at the most basic, you know, construct of what you just talked about. We, we identify these people as attendees, as sponsors, as speakers, but at the end of the day, we're all human, mm. okay? And getting to know their human side, that's really critical. And we also have come from and are re-emerging into what we call the experience economy. You know, people use experiences and preferences and hobbies and talents to define, that is how they make up their identity, that's how they describe themselves, it's how they position themselves to others. So by tapping into things that they like, things that they enjoy, things that, you know, have, I don't know what their favorites are in terms of various categories, that is such an amazing way to automatically bond and bring people together beyond the core purpose of why they, again, congregated in the virtual or even the in-person environment. So I think that is such an important um, area of focus. And again, when we go back to like this experience manager, this experience leader, they have to make sure they're incorporating this into their overall strategy. They cannot um, have this fall to the wayside. They cannot deprioritize that. That is just as important as them actually hoping to conduct and facilitate business and bring people along their journey. So by not calling them attendees and calling them humans, it even flips the script in terms of how you would discuss what experience you're hoping to build as part of this event. And let's let's do a social experiment just for, for, for the sake of it whilst we've got the opportunity. If anybody who listens to the Event Industry News podcast also happens to support Queen's Park Rangers, please find me on Twitter at James Dixon QPR. I'd love to know if anybody who's listening to the Event Industry News podcast also happens to support Queen's Park Rangers. And there is our conversation starter. Um, I love that. We've, been, we've been speaking today on the podcast with Devin Cleary. Devin is the VP of Global Events at Bizabo. Devin, it, it's been fascinating, engaging, um, and just great to have a chat with you. And as I said, get somebody on from Bizabo who are a company that we've been connected with through the Event Tech Awards and Event Tech Live for a number of years now. So um, really appreciate your time today. Before we wrap up, tell us how people can, can find out about you guys and, and get in touch if they want to know more about what you're up to. Yeah, absolutely. I am such a fan of social connections. So you can find me personally and professionally on LinkedIn, uh, Devin Cleary. Also, my I'm on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Dev Cleary. So feel free to give me a like or a follow and I'll happily uh, return the favor. And then in terms of our company, uh, we have a great blog uh, and we have a great sort of resource. We publish significant amount of event content. So even a lot of the tips and tricks I'm sharing today, you can find in sort of how-to guides and whatnot on Bizabo.com. You can also follow Bizabo on the Twitter handle Bizabo. Uh, and again, also our, our corporate channels as well in, in terms of the appropriate social feeds.
And of course, uh, if you want to uh, check us out whilst uh, you, you're going to find the Bizabo socials, you can uh, find us on Twitter, as I'm sure you know, at Event News Blog. If you've got anything to uh, to shout uh, at us about or any comments on the podcast, anything you want to find out, all of the news from Event Industry News is put out via the Event Industry News Twitter handle and, of course, all the other social media platforms as well, Instagram and, and LinkedIn. Find uh, Event Industry News on there. Of course, eventindustrynews.com will remain the hub for all of that information. Check out the latest news, features, information. Of course, previous episodes of the podcast on eventindustrynews.com. Of course, if you're listening to this on uh, on one of your uh, podcast platforms via audio only, there are video versions of all of the podcasts available on that website as well. And I always say and like to point out that if you are watching this on the eventindustrynews.com website or via YouTube, then you can, of course, go to your favorite podcast platform and listen and download audio versions of all episodes of our previous podcast, over 250 episodes there now to listen to. And it brings us to the end of today's episode. Um, our thanks once again to Mr. Devin Cleary from Bizabo, who's joined us all the way from Boston, Massachusetts in the USA today. It's been great to chat to you, Devin. Uh, do come on again and um, and have another chat with us sometime. It'd be great to get you back on and uh, have another chat. I'm sure there's loads more interesting things that you guys are going to be up to in the future that uh, that we can talk about. Sounds amazing, James. Thank you so much for the time. Uh, for all the listeners today, we really appreciate it. And uh, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks very much. And uh, brings us to the end of today's episode. As, as ever, it's been great to, to chat with interesting people, meet new people. If you've got an idea or uh, uh, some content for the podcast that you'd like to put to us, do get in touch with us via the eventindustrynews.com website. But for now, my name's James Dixon, signing off on another episode. We'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.